if I'm being really honest, I had a very unreasonable expectation of what it meant to be parenting. I felt at the time that I had to do it all. I had to be the CEO. I had to, you know, raise capital and I had to have like these perfect meals on the table Mm -hmm. and the kids had to get dressed and, and I really took a toll on me physically and, and emotionally. And, you know, I think that, you know, it took some time for me to, to let go of that control and realize that I can only do a couple of things well. And I had to pick what those would be, you know, so I had to give up the fact that, you know, maybe my kids would go to school and they didn't brush their teeth and no one had brushed their hair and they're missing things from their backpack, you know, and that that's going to have to be okay. Or maybe we're going to have to get takeout, you know, for dinner and that's going to have to be okay. Because, you know, I, I put too much pressure on myself in those early years to have this really meaningful, purposeful work life and like giving my 150% at home. The reality is something has to give. You can't get, I like to say, you can't get an A on everything. You know, you have to kind of get a C or D even in some areas. Bridget Garsh, co-founder of Neighbor Schools and your host for Work Like a Mother, a podcast dedicated to real conversations with incredible women juggling work, life, and motherhood. Today, I'm excited to sit down with Stephanie Dua, Homer co-founder and president. When my son Huddy turned two, I had to miss his birthday dinner for an event celebrating Neighbor Schools being named a startup on fire. I agonized over this for weeks and felt beyond guilty. To make up for missing dinner, I took the morning off to take him to a special art class and bring him to school. And I stayed up till midnight the night before making his favorite sweet potato pancakes to share with his class. The art class was an epic fail. He wanted no part of it and threw a huge tantrum when it was time to put on his smock. I felt defeated. Now I was missing his birthday dinner and my special treat was a disaster. Afterwards, we were running so late that when we got to daycare, I could only stay for a few minutes to sing a quick happy birthday. Then I ran to the car and cried my eyes out on my way to work. Later, when I was at the event, I snuck away to a quiet corner and FaceTime with him to sing happy birthday with the rest of our family. My heart ached as I headed back to the party, and I honestly thought I'd ruined his birthday. But that's not what happened. Do you know what Huddy remembers? He remembers how Mama took him to school that day, how he got to blow out two candles, and how he got so many presents. That's it. As moms, we put so much pressure on ourselves to do it all. But as Stephanie Dua shared, we can't. And if we try, we'll burn out. So instead, let's start thinking about how we can make time for the things that really matter. Early in Stephanie's career as a working mom, she thought she had to do it all. She wanted to cook her children a nutritious breakfast every morning, have a smooth morning routine, pack bags with everything the children needed for school, get everyone to childcare on time, get to work on time, work efficiently throughout the day, and have an equally smooth evening routine. She quickly realized it's impossible to do it all perfectly, and it adds so much unnecessary stress and pressure to even try. Stephanie's strategy? Decide on what you want to prioritize doing really well, 
and then be okay getting a C on everything else. Give yourself a break and accept that no one expects for everything to be perfect. Stephanie, so happy to be here with you today. Thank you so much for joining us on Work Like a Mother. Thank you, Bridget. It's my honor. I'm really excited to spend time with you guys today. So you have done so many interesting things in your career. Can you give us, and this is going to be very hard, a two-minute sort of highlight reel and summary of your journey? Sure. Yes. Two minutes. Okay. Where do we start? So I actually grew up in a tiny, tiny country town in California called Waterford. You would blink and miss it. It's sort of as you're going to the foothills of Yosemite, it's all farming. My dad was an almond and walnut uh, farmer. We grew up on a ranch with sheep, chickens and cattle and chickens and more chickens all over. Um, My my toddler would have loved it. It was quite an experience. And, you know, what you what you learn growing up in these very small towns is there aren't a lot of educational options. You kind of go to the school you go to. It's a single school in a single town. Um, and that can be a great experience for some and it cannot be a great experience for others. So I was always interested in education in part because of my own journey with education. You know, my mom never went to college. You know, I was always interested in, and worked very hard, had three jobs, really kind of like that working mother that you're talking about, you know, how do you kind of make it all work, um, raising kids and working. And, um, I, I had my own journey as I was really interested in science. So I studied geology, geophysics. I went, I started in community college and then made my way to UCLA eventually, and then eventually made my way to Harvard for graduate school. But it was a very long circuitous journey. I, at one point, um, managed a drill rig team and I had a Ford F-150 and steel toed boots, you know, and was looking at the Mars uh, rover. I was looking at maybe getting a PhD um, and focusing on Mars. So I've had this kind of all over the place journey, um, but it's always had a a couple of threads to it, which is one, a deep uh, commitment and passion for issues. You know, um, out of graduate school, I I had the benefit of actually working at McKinsey and Company and and doing some work in there um, and the for-profit side, obviously, but then also doing some work with pro bono. And so I was just blessed to be able to work with companies and organizations like the Robin Hood Foundation. And then it eventually made my way to being the CEO of the Fund for Public Schools. So even though I was at McKinsey and doing this great work for companies, very um, impact oriented, I also was able to bring um, nonprofits into the mix and really have an impact both in the for-profit and nonprofit sector. And it was at my time as CEO of the Fund for Public Schools, I had three babies and in that period. And, you know, I, my oldest was struggling with reading and I had all these experts around me. And I asked them, I said, you know, what do you, what do you recommend for parents, you know, who have kids who are struggling in some way? And they said that there was nothing that they knew of that they would trust um, for parents. There's a lot of great resources in schools, but not so much for parents, not that they would trust. So I thought it was a great opportunity, Bridget, to kind of build a company that does good and does well by solving a really important pain point for families, you know, where they do want to give their kids the best start possible, but they didn't really have any trusted resources for that. So we started Homer, feels like, you know, decades ago, but I guess it was only seven years ago. And, you know, as, as many of your guests, I'm sure, you know, tried to balance raising my three girls while starting a venture back company, you know, and at that time there were very few women, much less mothers receiving any venture funding. So, you know, kind of charting that course while raising these girls um, and having them be part of it the entire time was an extraordinary experience. Wow. If you think back to 
that those moments when you had these three young girls and what are their age? What is so their age range? They are, one is applying to college, believe it or not, which is a whole nother session we should have about like the before and after, like, what did you do when they were little? And now how do you think about that now, which is its own thing and lessons. But so one is 17, one's 15 and one is 12, all girls. Okay. So at a moment in time though, you had three who were under the age of five. Exactly. That's right. When you think about that moment, how did, how did you make that work with this high powered job with these really young girls? What did your, what did your day to day even look like? If I'm being really honest, I had a very unreasonable expectation of what it meant to be parenting. I felt at the time that I had to do it all. I had to be the CEO. I had to, you know, raise capital. I had to, at the time, I actually was the CEO of the Fund for Public Schools. So I was in this very political organization. Um, and I had to have like these perfect meals on the table and the kids had to get dressed and and I really took a toll on me physically and, and emotionally. And, you know, I think that, you know, it took some time for me to, to let go of that control and realize that I can only do a couple of things well. And I had to pick what those would be, you know, so I had to give up the fact that, you know, maybe my kids would go to school and they didn't brush their teeth and no one had brushed their hair and they're missing things from their backpack, you know, and that that's going to have to be okay. Or maybe we're going to have to get takeout, you know, for dinner and that's going to have to be okay. Because, you know, I, I put too much pressure on myself in those early years to have this really meaningful, purposeful work life with impact and, you know, really like giving my 150% at home. And, you know, I just feel like the reality is something has to give, you can't get, I like to say, you can't get an A on everything. You know, you have to kind of get a C or D even in some areas. Yeah. And I think my, my therapist is always saying also, when you set the bar to be perfection, there is nowhere to go, but down the only space there is, is to fail. And so you're setting up your mindset when you think you have to do everything a hundred percent, which is not reasonable for anybody to feel badly about it. Like there's no, there's no space for anything else. For me, that sort of manifests itself as snack and I beat myself up over it. Cause the food is always an issue for moms, I think. Right. And you have three different kids. I have three different ways of approaching food. I would say my oldest was always very good at looking at a variety of things, but my mm-hmm. middle one eats nothing. And to this day at 15 years old, if it's creamy or white or fish, like she has a very narrow range of things that are acceptable still to this age at 15. And one time I was like, if you're not going to eat fish, I'm going to give you cod liver oil because you have to get your omega vitamins. I was so obsessed with her getting, making sure she had her vitamins that one morning I put it in her orange juice. Cause someone suggested, you know, you can add cod liver oil to orange juice and she tasted it and bat the whole thing everywhere. (laughs) So there was like cod liver mixed with orange juice all over the kitchen. And the kids to this day will remember, they're like, mom, remember when you put cod liver oil in our orange juice and we never wanted to drink orange juice again. Oh, wow. Oh my goodness. I could totally imagine that, um, that happening thinking, okay, well, I've solved the problem. Check. We're going to do this. We've got the cod liver oil in the orange juice now it's all done. Yeah. Well, that's so the other lesson, right? With kids is like, 
even when you have the best plan and you think I've solved the problem, I'm going to do this. It, it never seems to work out that way. Yeah. yeah. And it changes the next day. There's a new set of challenges because as they age, as you know, it, the challenges that were yesterday are not today's. Yes, completely. But I want to circle back to this challenge that you were talking about, which really you were facing with your daughter in terms of helping her with her reading and what inspired you to start Homer. Can you tell us a little bit more about what Homer does and how it's such an incredible tool for parents and families? Yeah, so uh, Homer's an early learning program for kids ages sort of in that two to eight window. Mm -hmm. And what's special about Homer is that um, it focuses not just on academic skills, um, but it also focuses on sort of social emotional learning and more those sort of personal growth skills. Mm -hmm. But also we like to say that is unique about Homer is that we not only have an app, a digital product that teaches kids math and reading and social emotional skills, but we also have a physical, uh, physical toys and kits, activity kits that you can do um, with your child to help reinforce those skills. You know what? One of the big observations I had, Bridget, at the Fund for Public Schools, New York City is the largest school system, 1.1 million kids, and we like to think that learning happens in one place. Just you check in on Monday morning and you're at school and you're learning and then you leave at two or three and you stop learning. But in truth, kids are learning all the time, right? And so what I think the secret sauce of Homer is, is we we understand that kids are learning all the time and some skills are best taught in one way and in one mode and other skills in another way. And that you need to have that flexibility to meet the kids where they want to be met in that learning process. And so that's why we like to call it an entire program. The other thing is, as a busy parent, I needed someone to simplify things for me. I was like, I can't figure this stuff out. I have no idea what my kid's supposed to be knowing at what time. So I just need someone to tell me what I'm supposed to be doing and when I'm supposed to be doing it. It's too much. And when you Google, you get 15 different answers. Mm -hmm. So you know, part of my mission is really to help simplify things for parents in these early years, really helping them understand like in an end-to-end way, we're going to deliver the best products for you to help your kids adjust at the right time with what they need. And we're not going to give you stuff that they don't need because it's, you know, we keep adding stuff to our plate as parents of things we need to do and no one's helping us take anything off. Right. And say like, you actually don't need to do this. It's not as important. Um, So that's really one of the other uh, elements I think is uh, very valuable to our families at Homer. Wow. That sounds absolutely incredible. And um, for what I've learned a little bit as well, you also tailoring it to children's interests, right? Like I think of, we go to the library almost on a weekly basis and my oldest Hudson, you know, I try and introduce all of these other books that I want to read, to be honest, um, at night with him. And he wants tractors, trucks, maybe dinosaurs. And that's like his core focus. Yeah. And that's such a great example, Bridget, because my, my philosophy is you have to meet kids where they want to be met. So if they're really obsessed and their obsessions change all the time, right? But if he's really obsessed with trucks, then you want to introduce a set of things to him in that lens of trucks, right? So how do we think about math with trucks? How do we read stories about social emotional learning with trucks? You know, how can we think about reading with trucks? And the more that's very high interest for them, the more open they're going to be um, to accept kind of 
of taking in some of those harder skills that might might, might be not as um, exciting, so to speak, for them, you know, if it's not in, in the kind of spirit of what they're passionate and interested in. And kids' passions are so powerful. You know, you know this with your boys, right? You know, and it changes all the time. So how do we kind of harness that excitement for learning, you know, in those early years um, and use that as a big motivator? It's called intrinsic motivation in the learning space. And I think it's one of the other things that makes our program really unique is that we really focus on what's going to intrinsically motivate a child to want to learn. Because in the end, that's the most powerful way of learning. The extrinsic rewards actually do a disservice to kids over time because they start to associate, I only do X if I get Y, Hmm. you know, and actually it doesn't build, you know, I did this with my three girls. I really focused obviously on reading with them and really being intrinsically motivated to read. So we, they always read 20 minutes a day, even if they were traveling on a plane, on a train, wherever they are on holiday, 20 minutes a day is all I ever said since they were little. And I'd read to them when they were very little, but then when they could read on their own, they'd read on their own. And now when we go even away on holiday out, people will be surprised and they'll, because they just have stacks of books with them, you know, and they're constantly reading and they're curious about things, you know, but you have to kind of build those habits of mind from an early age. And part of building that habit of mind is really tapping into intrinsic motivation, you know, which is build that kind of love of learning and that curiosity. Well, over the last year, you know, with the pandemic, it's been a challenging year. It's been a year of growth. How has the pandemic affected your professional life and your your personal life? Um, In so many ways, you know, I think in many ways, the, the way we were building that the company and the product, not just for our employees, but for our families, you know, and our customers um, really meant that during COVID, this was a, a moment for us to double down and serve our families. You know, we have a digital product, which meant that online learning was easy for us to execute. You know, we didn't have to pivot so much in that way. And our activity kits could be a real nice support for kids, maybe who mm-hmm. weren't in preschool, as you know, the stories, I mean, maybe your boys were this way, but it was very hard for very young kids to be on a zoom and really learning. I mean, that's, that was a very big challenge. So we feel like, you know, it was an important moment as a company to really double down and serve our customers in the mission that, you know, was so much a part of how do we help families get through this, this period, you know, with as little loss of learning as possible, right? I mean, there's a lot of learning loss um, for many families. The second thing I would say is, you know, for, me, you know, and my own family, I have been a working mom since forever, you know, you know, I was, you know, the three month kind of maternity leave and then back to work. And so for me, it was the first time in my life that I was actually around my kids in the app and, and they were studying. And so they'd come in and out and that was actually a, you know, a silver lining for me, you know, to be able to spend that kind of quality time with their kids. And I've heard it from so many moms, which, you know, new moms, experienced moms that there was this kind of new relationship that they were forming given how much time they were spending with their kids and how, and it was a shared experience, obviously a very tragic experience, but a shared experience for everyone. And even in my, my, my marriage, I would say my husband was just reading this stat over the weekend that 
40% of families said that their marriage improved during COVID. And I wasn't, I was sort of surprised and I guess not surprised because again, my husband travels all the time. And so it was the first time I was like, what are you doing here? I am not used to you being around. Like I was so used to, you know, me being at work, he was traveling, you know, and we'd come home and spend dinners together when he wasn't traveling. But, you know, that was a whole new dynamic. And, it, you know, for us, you know, it was really a new, a new opportunity to kind of um, come together as a family. Yeah. I think one of the, my husband and I talk all the time about how, you know, we have dinner at 545 and that would never have happened before. I mean, we wouldn't get home until 645 or seven. Um, and so what that has meant for our family dynamic and being able to spend the time with the kids was just, you know, that yeah. was something that, that we want to try and preserve as much as possible coming out of the pandemic. Is there anything that you think of that you really want to try and keep that you experienced? Yeah, it's, you know, I think um, the the piece I really want to keep is we've always had family dinners. They've always been really important, but, you know, often, you know, they were, you know, kind of rushed, you know, we'd have to like get to them really quickly. You know, the kids had activities, they had homework, they had all kinds of other things. But I feel like one of the things that we've really tried to do is in slowing down and just make that about the conversation and not the food, you know, and how do we, even if they're done eating, like how do we take some time just as a family to talk, you know, and we use this little device, which we've been using since they were kids, but we do it all, all the time now, which is rosebud thorn. So we all go around the table saying kind of what was our rose? What was the highlight of the day? What was the bud? What are we looking forward to? And what was the thorn? What is something that maybe was challenging for us? And it's just a nice little device, but it gets everyone talking and everyone kind of sharing about their day. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to take that with me. I love that and incorporate yeah. it in our, in our family. That is fantastic. Um, as you think about all the hats that you wear now with Homer, with being a mom to three teenagers, to also being an advisor to leading, you know, global education foundations how do you make this juggle work every day? I think it comes back to, you know, the lesson for me about simplifying and how do I figure out what matters most and what doesn't matter, you know, because I think historically, and I think many moms do this, you know, we have placed the same importance to everything. And then we're so task oriented. We've got this to-do list and we're just like, okay, let me get through this, the cod liver oil, right? Like, <laughs> let me go through. And, and, and everything has kind of equal weight. And so for me at this point, it's about how do I think about, you know, where I want to spend my energy? Cause all I have really is my time and my energy. And my oldest is now has one more year left before she goes away. And so that's been a fun process, asking her to reflect back on her early years and think about what, what mattered to her, you know, and some of the things that I thought were really important, really were not important to her. And the things that I thought were sort of small mattered immensely to her. And so the, so what I've thought about is there's sort of three categories of things that for me now, um, as I think about how can we simplify parenting and how do I adopt that to my life? One is I really try and focus on what I call the special things, not the everything. So, and it's different for each child a little bit, and it's not necessarily alone time because it could just be, you know, like my oldest loves to, you know, 
drive with me, you know, as she was learning to drive, you know, so it had a practical tactical element, like learning to drive, but also, you know, we had some fun bonding and we went to Starbucks every day. We went through the drive-through at Starbucks. So it became this kind of nice story for her. The second thing is, I think the piece I have long forgotten is that me taking care of myself is also part of childcare. And I, I think I always had this construct that I was last, right? So I had my company, my kids, my marriage, the house, the dog, you know, all the demands on me. And that if there was time left, I could go to the doctor or I could sit and read a book or I could take a bath. I don't know if I've ever taken a bath. I don't know, like my bathtub just sits there and I, I buy the nice bath salts hoping one day that I'll take a bath. But, you know, it's just that in the rank order, I was always last, you know, and it was always a, if there's time. And what I've realized now having older daughters is that actually it's, it should be the inverse that by me modeling self-care to them, I'm giving them the skills that they need to take care of themselves. So when my daughter was stressed the other day, she's taking the ACT, she's really tired. And she said, you know what, look, I, I need to do nothing right now. I need to take the day off. I need to exercise. I need to spend time with my friends because it's too much. Like that is actually success, believe it or not, right? Because she's learning limits, right? And learning that it's important for her to take care of herself in a stress time. And then the last thing I'd say is I've learned that it's really about the connection between your, the mom and the child and not so much about perfecting every element of it. So it's, again, it's like where you spend your energy, not like, what do you do? Mm-hmm. And so that's, those are the three lessons I've had that I think have helped me make it all work, so to speak, you know, when we think about it. I know you shared that your mom was a big inspiration to you. Um, can you share a little bit more about how how she's really shaped your journey? Yeah, and I think that it's interesting the more I've kind of dug into this around parenting, I think we are so shaped by these early years in our relationship mm-hmm. with our parents, you know, and it's all about building kind of a foundation and, you know, a good foundation. And I'd say for me with my relationship with my mom, so she died of breast cancer when I was in my 20s, um, quite tragically, she didn't have a lot of health insurance. And so you know, one of the questions is really, could it have been prevented? But, you know, the kind of could have, should have, would have is a hard place to live. So both my brother and I, you know, are really trying to kind of see, you know, just look at that whole period in as positive a way as possible. But she was just, you know, she was always generous. And so even though she didn't have much, she was very generous person. So for me growing up, we had cots everywhere in our house because there was always some transient kid who didn't have a home or a friend of our friend who was having a hard time with his parents or her parents. And so it was my brother and me, my mom, but then there were always other people around friends and friends of friends that, you know, were struggling. And so for me, that's been the biggest piece, which is even if you're busy, how do you think about giving back more to others than you're taking in this world? And so that's, that's what she represented to me is she always gave more to the world than she took. And so, you know, in today's environment, you know, I'm constantly thinking about how do I embody that for my own family, my own children, um, and for myself, you know, in terms of leading a life with purpose and impact. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm sorry about your mom. My, I lost my mom in my twenties, um, to colon cancer. Um, and I'd spend a lot of time thinking about 
what my mother, how that's shaped my mothering experience as well, being really, you know, motherless um, without her to really guide me, um, which has been a challenge um, for me and a, and a real struggle. How have you faced that in raising your three girls? Lots of tears. <laughs> like, I think there are just moments where you, you know, I remember when Anya was very colicky when she was a baby and I would just sit in the, the rocker, you know, yeah. trying to nurse her crying while she cried, you know, I think it's really hard. I think there's a gap that's in your heart that, that exists when you lose a mom before they've seen your life, you know, and that, um, I just, I think it, it's part of your narrative then, right? And it's how you think about not just how you raise your babies, but just how you think about yourself as a mother. And, and I think there are some special ways to bring that in. So we, uh, you know, we like to, I have these scrapbooks uh, for the kids and I tried to pull in images of her mm-hmm. and letters that she would write. You know, my mom collected those I guess the DVDs, not DVDs. It was before the VHS, right? So my mom collected these VHSs of all the Disney movies because when she was a grandmother one day, she wanted the, her kids to, her grandkids to. So I still have those stacked up somewhere, you know, and I try to bring her memory into it. And really more than anything, we love celebrating Christmas. And so at Christmas, it's her time. That was her holiday. And so we try to really remember her. My husband also lost his mom. So we try and remember both both moms, you know, and and in in their own unique ways. But I I I look forward to someone telling me how you kind of learn because I feel like in some ways you lost a limb when you lost your mom because I recognize it too. I felt like I had no support system. You know, I didn't know how to do anything and and all of the things that I I would really rely on her for. I relied on friends, you know, and others. Um but it's 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 a it's a challenge and it's a beautiful thing to have had that kind of relationship. So on the one hand, I think what a magical thing that I had such a close friendship with my mother and that we were really best friends. And, you know, if I could only have had that for a short period, I would rather have that than, than a longer period with a tenuous relationship. Mm, What a beautiful and hopeful way to think about it. Um, The other day I was thinking of her because my son got his first splinter, which has been my a fear, right? Of how, when is it? I know it's going to happen. When right. will it happen? And how will I cope with it? And she was a nurse. So I just oh, was, I couldn't help but think like yeah. she was sitting on my shoulder, sort of guiding me and, and thinking about it. And at the same time, it was wonderful to think of, you know, what would she do in this situation? Because she would have known exactly what to do. And then also incredibly painful and hard because I thought, why isn't she here for me to call up and say, what do I do? This splinter is so deep, help me and, and really be that support for me. So it's, she's been gone for, you know, over um, almost 10 years and there's still these moments where it feels so raw. And like, it was yesterday, like that, that we lost her. Yeah. And you bring up such a, an interesting story because I think it comes back to me, which is this, this realization I've had is that in the end, it's like these little things. It's not the big sweeping grand vacation or the grand birthday party. Mm. It's the, it's the person who knows how to get the splinter out right? Who Mm -hmm. like, those are the things that you remember. And so the question then is like, 
how do we as parents get more stuff off our to-do list so that we can have the space for those special things, the connection moments um, with our kids, you know, and how do we think about the other things that maybe don't matter quite so much? Mm, Yes. So, so important and so necessary. And and part of really what you're building with Homer is, is giving parents that, that space to be able to do that. And likewise, I think, you know, what you guys are building is trying to also help simplify and support parents, you know, in, in these early years, you know, having our kids cared for is, is a huge piece of this as a working mom and a huge fear, right? You know, mm-hmm. and making sure that that's a positive experience. So I think the more um, more we can collectively as parents, as working moms, help support each other, both in our, our, our personal side, but also in our, our public side, you know, and how do we bring those resources and supports to families? Well, so if you could think of one piece of advice that you would give to uh, a new mom as she is, you know, having her baby and re-entering work and, and sort of weighing all these giant milestones on her mind, what advice would you give? Mm. I would, I would say to focus on, focus your energy. Cause as a new mom, you know, gosh, your energy is so depleted. You're so exhausted. Um, I would focus your energy on one thing that brings you joy with your child and, and allow yourself to get a C list out. Like I would write out on a to-do list. What are some things I can get a C on today, mm-hmm. this week? And really force yourself not to try and have to do it all, you know, and really expending that energy on the things that matter most. Because I think it's different for every mom. Like there's some moms who love to cook, right? And want to make the, mm-hmm. you know, homemade baby food, right? But if that's not your passion, maybe you can get a C on that. Maybe it's okay. There are plenty of other options out there, you know, in the market that you can get great food for your child without having to make it yourself. Right. And so just thinking through those trade-offs early on. So you build the habit of not doing everything, mm-hmm. I think is really the important piece. And the second piece, and you asked me for one, but I have to <laughs> is I think also what drives us crazy as moms is we buy so much, you know, so much product thinking that that product will simplify things. But then that product is just like one more thing to learn. I think it's like my Instapot, which I've purchased three times now and I've never used because I think in the moment I'm going to want to use it because mm-hmm. it seems so simple, but then I get it and the instructions are so overwhelming. I'm like, oh, I can't, I don't have time for this. <laughs> so I think also just simplifying the products you have, right? So that it's not so much, you know, what are the, again, the things that really add value? Mm-hmm. What What don't you need, you know, and what is more of a, a, a temporary convenience, you know, versus the things that are really kind of um, enduring is what I would say. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for spending time with me today. This has been an absolute joy. I could keep talking to you for ages. Work Like a Mother is produced by Neighbor Schools. Neighbor Schools is a startup in Boston that I co-founded in 2018 to help parents find daycare. As a first-time parent, finding childcare can feel scary and intimidating. 
At Neighbor Schools, we help you find daycare you'll feel really good about so you can go back to work with the peace of mind that your little one is getting the socialization, support, and stimulation they need to learn and grow. We've helped thousands of moms and dads figure out the daycare search. Check us out at neighborschools.com. And when you get in touch, mention that you discovered us on the podcast. Thanks for joining me today. We'll see you next time.